Today's episode of the Pioneering Today podcast, I'm going to be sharing with you that most of us want to be sharing with our family wholesome, healthy, home-cooked meals and made from scratch because we know that when we're making it from scratch, we're controlling the ingredients and truthfully, it's almost the only way that we can serve food to both ourselves and to our families that doesn't have the harmful ingredients that is run rampant with the foods, the processed foods and the quick and easy fix foods that are stocked on the grocery store shelves. This is a really important, and I was reminded of how important this is yesterday in an interesting sort of way, and I'm going to be sharing this story with you today on this episode number 122 of the Pioneering Today podcast because it has some really interesting twists and turns. I want to welcome you. My name is Melissa K. Norris, and I am your host of the Pioneering Today podcast where we teach families how to grow, preserve, and cook their own food using old-fashioned skill sets and wisdom to create a more natural and self-sufficient home and kitchen. So at the time of this recording, I had actually recorded this episode, number 122, the day before, and I had saved it and uploaded it to go through just a quick edit so that it is easier on your listening ears. And the file said that it was a 30-minute episode, but whenever we went back to play it and to try to edit it, we could only get eight minutes, and it picked random eight minutes throughout the whole podcast and smushed them together. In other words, it was not a podcast episode. Something was wrong with the file. It had corrupted it, and you wouldn't have been able to listen to it. And when I got this message, I was actually in town on one, and when I say town, for those of you who are new to the podcast or not necessarily sure, so I'm located in the Pacific Northwest on the west side of the mountains in Washington State. And we live really rurally, so we're up in the foothills of the North Cascade Mountain Range. So for me to go to town where any of your large grocery stores, that type of thing is, to get supplies... I'm looking at about an hour drive one way. So my goal is to only do that once, twice a month max, but sometimes things crop up and I have to go more often. That's where I was yesterday. And so when I got the message that the file was corrupted, I couldn't even look at it. I was had just left home. It was going to be hours. And so I thought, oh, I'll just have to re-upload it and it'll be fine. Something happened with the upload. That was not to be the case. But the interesting part of the story actually happens when I was in town. We have a small local, it's not a co-op, but it's a local grocery store where I go and buy all of our milk and our cream because they stock from a local dairy. I can get it in a glass bottle. It's local, it's organic, and it's grass-fed. And it is non-homogenized, which means I've got the cream on the top of the milk that I can separate off and the cream Oh my goodness, you guys, the bottles of cream is just so good. And here is the really amazing part. It is actually cheaper for me to buy that real cream from a local farmer than it is to get the little itty-bitty cartons of it at the regular grocery store, even the organic kind. So I was at this store waiting in line to purchase my milk and my cream and then to start the drive home. And I overheard a conversation between the lady who was in front of me in line to check out and the cashier. And they were on the subject, they were talking about vaccines and just our whole food system, our modern healthcare system. 
and the role that the foods that we eat and that we put in our bodies, how they play and affect our overall health. I was just really enjoying listening to their conversation. And as it transpired, they kept the conversation going. And the fact the lady, she moved out of the way. She said, we're just visiting. Come on up and go ahead and put your purchase up. And I'm like, okay. So they're ringing me up and they're continuing their conversation, which I love that about small towns. And so they were going on. And then I couldn't help it. I just had to jump in. So we ended up having this detailed conversation about the importance of knowing what's in your food, why we make almost everything from scratch and at home, and what so many people just don't know about our modern food system, and then of course the modern health system, how broken it is, how so many people are starting to get back to the basics where they're growing it themselves, preparing it themselves, and learning a lot of this old-fashioned or old-timey wisdom, herbal use, and natural healthcare use, because we see that it's broken. Then it gets even better because the one lady leaves, I continue checking out and I purchase my groceries. Then she comes back because she forgot an item and we ended up visiting all the way out into the parking lot and talking for a really long time. But the reason I'm sharing that with you is because it's because if you are listening to this podcast, then you know the importance. You may not be all the way there yet. You might be in a more beginning spot of your journey But you know the importance of doing it yourself and making it from scratch and using old-fashioned wholesome ingredients because there's so many things that are snuck into the processed foods that come from the grocery store, even when we don't really even think that it's necessarily you know, a really bad food or like a really a junk food item. When you start reading those ingredient labels, it can be kind of a scary thing and really gives us the push to go back to doing it more, it really gives you that push to making it yourself at home so you know only the good stuff is in there. And in our conversation, we were talking about how there's so many people out there that just don't know what they don't know. And it usually takes, a lot of the times, at least it did for me, it takes a serious health scare. So for me, it was having my esophagus and my upper stomach biopsied for cancer when I was just in my late 20s. For other people, it's having a close family member who has a scary healthcare diagnosis. But usually we kind of have a wake-up call. And sometimes, and I wish that this was the case for more and more people, you aren't having a health scare and none of your loved ones are having a health scare, but you stumble upon some pieces of information that open your eyes and then you make that transition. But one of the beautiful things about it is more and more people are becoming aware of it. And so you and I, you're listening to this podcast and we're talking about and we're sharing and we're a community. We are joining a movement of people and bringing awareness to society as a whole. And that's pretty amazing to be a part of something like that. So I wanna thank you for joining me on this mission and with this lifestyle and being part of the opportunity that shares it with other people because it really is important. I've also this week been getting a lot of emails and a lot of messages with people who are really struggling with their health and specifically with stomach acid and ulcers and GERD. They're wanting to approach it without modern medicine and without a band-aid, without a whole bunch of prescriptions. And I was able to do that. And that was what really sparked my entire journey. And it's what I talk about a lot in my first book, The Made From Scratch Life. 
And so we're going to have some upcoming podcast episodes detailing in on that. But one of the gems that came out of the conversation and what happened yesterday is we were saying pretty much everything we now cook all of our meals at home from scratch within that balance rule of, you know, 80% doing it all good. And then you give yourself a little bit of grace there in the 80-20 rule. But when you're doing it all from scratch at home, and for us with the modern homesteaders, me and my husband and our families, we try to raise as much of that food ourselves as possible and then prepare that into our meals. That can become a full-time job all on its own. Most of us do not have the leisure of being able to just be at home full-time and raising and harvesting crops and even preparing all of our meals from scratch. Almost all families have at least one person working outside the home, if not both. So you're trying to put this in with a whole day job as well. And or you may be home, but you might be homeschooling. You may be working from home, which is the case with me right now. Always more to do than we have hours in a day. So if I can give you a wee bit of help with that in a modern day kitchen at home, then I think we should take full advantage of these resources. So I hope that you will share with me some of your favorites as well that we can glean from each other ways to make ourselves more efficient and just make it a little bit easier. One of the best rules of thumb that I have ever received when it came to deciding what to keep in your home or what kind of takes top priority and especially with decluttering. But this tip came from Kathy Lip, the author of Clutter Free, and she's also the host of the Clutter Free podcast. I love this clarification. And so what I'm the tools that I'm sharing with you today absolutely meet these guidelines. And that is, if it broke right now, would you go out immediately and pay to replace that item? And if it's a yes, then that is a keeper. And if it's a no, then usually there's something else that could take its place or we just wouldn't replace it, right? And if we wouldn't replace it, then usually that is a good indicator that we should gift that or get it out of our house because it's taking up valuable real estate and clutter just kind of adds to the stress of life. So without further ado, number one on my list is a pressure canner, but not just any pressure canner, specifically the All-American canner. And for me, that is the 21 and a half quart pressure canner. Now, the funny story of this is I've been pressure canning, well, my whole life, but as far as being in my own kitchen and married life, over 18 years. And so I had the same pressure canner that I started with. It was a 17-year-old pressure canner, and it was the older, the pressure canner style that has a rubber gasket. And it was a smaller one, but when I first started canning, it was just my husband and I. We didn't have our kids yet, and we didn't grow nearly as much as we do now and harvest and preserve ourselves. I thought that it worked just fine, but it was getting a little bit small and I was looking at a bigger one and I'd replaced the gasket on it a few times. Then about, I think it was three Christmases ago, my husband gifted me with an all-American pressure canner. And if you're not familiar, the difference between an all-American and a Presto, my actually version that I have is a, my older one is a Miro, which I don't believe is even made anymore, but it's very similar to a Presto model. So the All-American is made in America, hence the name All-America. But the difference is, the majority of the difference comes in the lid. With the All-American, it's a metal-to-metal seal, and you actually have swing nuts that screw the lid to the base or to the actual can or the pot part that your jars are going into. 
One of the things that I adore about that, and I didn't know it when I had never had one, but when I got it is it is so much more efficient and we're all about efficiency, right? So in my older model, which was the smaller one, I could do four quarts at a time, five wide mouth pint jars or seven regular sized pint jars at a time. So four quarts or a run of five or a run of seven. Well, with the All-American, because it's a 21 and a half quart, which means I can stack pints so I can do a double layer in there or I can do seven quarts. What this means is I can do 19 pints of beans at once. That is a big deal when you grow and can all of your green beans to last you for an entire year. So I don't buy any green beans from the store. We eat green beans at least once a week. I almost am tripling the amount I can do at one time by having the larger counter. So that means same amount of electricity, same amount of water, but 19 jars instead of seven. So it's a time and energy savings that I love. Plus the All-American canner, because it seals better and I feel it's just better constructed, it actually reaches pressure faster, even though it's a larger canner, and it maintains the pounds of pressure more efficiently than the other models that I've used. So that means I'm not having to monkey with the heat on my stovetop to keep it at the 10 pounds of pressure or whatever pounds of pressure I'm canning at. Usually for vegetables, we're a thousand feet below sea level. So is it 10 pounds of pressure for vegetables, meats and soups and all that kind of stuff? So I love that because I'm not having to monkey with that and adjust and constantly manage it so I could just keep it within earshot and go about and do other things and not be interrupted. And it's funny because my husband decided to get me that by listening to a podcast and decided it would make me a great Christmas present. And I'm telling you, it goes down in history as like my best Christmas present ever that he has given me. And it wasn't this podcast. You know, I actually don't know what podcast it was. I'm going to have to ask him. So to get links to all of the things that I'm talking about today, if you want to check them out and get the exact links or the exact models that I'm talking about, you always have the full podcast is put into a blog post for you with resources. So to find that, go to melissakenorris.com, click on the podcast button, and this is episode number 122. Second on my list, this is my new favorite. It only comes in second to my All-American pressure canner, but we are still talking about pressure, and that is the electric Instapot. So I'm kind of seriously a latecomer to the whole electric pressure cooking craze, but oh my goodness, this is not your mama's pressure cooking from back in the day. The Instapot is truly a plug and go. You just push a couple of buttons. It comes up to pressure. It cooks your food. And then you can program it to just go to keep warm. So it'll just keep it warm. It is amazing. And just for reference, because I get asked this a lot, a pressure canner, you can cook in a pressure canner. So I technically could cook in my All-American canner. You cannot pressure can in an electric pressure cooker. So there is a difference there. Electric pressure cookers do not maintain that 10 pounds of pressure needed for the entire time in order for it to be as safe for pressure canning. But I do not cook in my pressure canner because your pressure canners are made from aluminum which I'm fine with canning because your food's inside a glass jar. It's not coming in contact with the aluminum. And the reason that they're aluminum is because if they were made out of stainless steel or something else, they would be really, really heavy. 
and it would be almost impossible for them to construct and to ship and the cost would go up. So that's why your pressure canners are made out of aluminum, but that's why I'm fine canning with them because my food's all enclosed within a glass jar. But I don't want to be cooking in them. And that's what I love about the Instapot is it is a stainless steel insert. So the pot that you're cooking in, you can saute in it, you guys. You can do all of that fun stuff. It's stainless steel, which makes it fabulous. So I have to give you a story because I'm all about stories. But this is why I love the Instapot. And if you are wondering, no, none of these companies have paid me. <laughs> the Instapot has not paid me. I'm not sponsored by them or All-American. I just love I just love their products. So on Thanksgiving Day, we had an unexpected flood. As in all of the access roads, so we have four different ways that we can exit where we live to, you know, escape routes or highways or to just leave where we live. And all four of them were completely covered in water. The, the river rose, went way out of its banks, and it wasn't a forecasted one. We were on flood watch of maybe high water, and overnight, it just came up in a hurry. We were supposed to go to my in-laws for Thanksgiving dinner, and we do potluck style in all of our holiday meals, and I was the pie baker. So I had all of my pies made and ready to go. So we had blackberry pie, made chocolate pie, apple pie, but all of those pies, while they are fabulous, do not make an entire Thanksgiving meal. So because we couldn't go there, I did not have a turkey thought out and ready to go. But my parents live on the same road as us. And so we could go up and down our road, well, part of our road, where we live, our homestead was fine and my folks' place. We weren't underwater or any danger. We were just kind of marooned, like on a little island. And so my mom was not expecting to have people over. She just had a really small whole chicken. Well, it ended up that my brother and his family and my husband and our family and my folks were all going to meet there and have Thanksgiving dinner. But her little tiny whole chicken was not going to feed all of us. So we raise and harvest all of our own chickens. I've got probably about 19 whole chickens in my deep freezer right now. So this is why I love the Instapot. There is a point to my story, I promise. I was able to take a whole frozen chicken, and our chickens are, whole frozen chickens are about six pounds, into the Instapot. We were going to eat dinner at two. At one o'clock, I threw that entire frozen chicken into the Instapot, put it on cook meat, and within 60 minutes, including building up to pressure, because you do still have to build up to pressure, cooking, and then natural reducing the pressure, which means I don't do a quick release. I'll just let the pressure reduce naturally until the pressure is reduced and you can safely open the lid. My bird was done. 60 minutes, y'all, from frozen whole, deep freezer frozen whole. I'm talking fall off the bone, juicy, finger licking good. I threw some rosemary in there and just salt and peppered it up. I can still harvest fresh rosemary right now. I've got it tucked up against our house in my herb garden. And it was just like having a rotisserie chicken but way better. That right there is one of the reasons I love the Instapot because there's a lot of times I forget to thaw out food for dinner and then all of a sudden it's like five o'clock and I'm like, oh, what are we doing for supper tonight? I need to get something on the table in a hurry. That's why I love the Instapot because I can put my meat in there frozen. And then conversely on days where I do need to leave and especially when I was working outside the home as well, I was doing two jobs, I can put the whole meat in there frozen and then I can set it to start to cook and say like two hours time, put how long I want it to cook, and then it immediately pops over when it's done to keep warm. So all I have to do is walk in the door and it's completely done, ready to go. I don't even have to thaw it out in the fridge, which is amazing. 
And then, of course, it was Thanksgiving, so pumpkin pie and pumpkin roll were on the list. And I was able to use the Instapot to just put our whole sugar pie pumpkin right inside, just pop the stem off so that you can close the lid. And you can just cook the entire pumpkin in the Instapot way faster than having it in the oven. And I love that because my oven, I don't have a huge oven, and so then I can keep the oven open for things that need to go in the oven. But the Instapot is just so much faster, and it's just easier. I just plug it in, and it uses less electricity than heating the whole oven, too. So that is good. In the summertime, which at the time of this recording, we're obviously in December, so it doesn't matter. But in the summertime, we don't have air conditioning, and so I used it a lot to keep the heat down inside the house. In fact, we went camping this summer. So our family vacation, we went camping for a week at a campground. And it was a campground that had electricity. Almost brought the Instapot with us because when we go camping, we'll maybe eat one or two meals out when we're on vacation. But I'm preparing the majority of our meals still for us totally from scratch. I almost brought it with us, but we just didn't have enough room. And when we were camping, we were walking through the campground. And I saw people with their Instapots out on their picnic tables. And I looked at my husband and said, see, I knew I should have brought it. So if you want to get the exact model I've got, you can go to the show notes and grab that. Up three on my list of if it broke, would immediately replace and love having in the kitchen is a home grain mill. Now, full disclosure, the grain mill that I have now, which is a mock mill, they sent it to me in exchange for my honest review. But... I almost told them not to send it to me because I did have another existing grain mill. And you can go back and listen to podcast episode number 120, all about why you would want to grind your own flour at home. It's the Grinding Flour and Beyond, our homesteader's guide to home milling. So you'll definitely want to check that out. But when we were going back to talking about making it yourself and the process conveniences, a lot of times we don't think about flour that we buy at the store. We think of that as a staple pantry ingredient that we're using to make things from scratch, which it is, but it is still processed. Flour that we buy at the store has had the nutrients stripped from it in order to make it shelf stable. And so grinding your own flour at home greatly increases the nutrition and the health benefits of it. Plus, you get a lot more variety in what you're able to mill into flowers than what you can just buy on a regular store shelf. And I love that. I tell you what, I am a girl who likes to have options, especially when it comes to food. So I love being able to create different flower blends for specifically what I'm making. And while I love the health benefits and the versatility of milling my own flour, I'm not about to sacrifice melt-in-your-mouth pie crust, light and fluffy cakes. And that was one of the things on the mock mill when they sent it to me and I put it to the test against the other mill that I had. I was so impressed with the ability that it has to adjust the grind to get it really, really fine. I have never seen a home mill that has that much ability to adjust the grind and to really get that really fine pastry flour light and fluffiness in a homegrown completely whole wheat flour. Now I have a special deal so it's limited tide only in conjunction with mock mill so if you're interested in getting a grain mill either for yourself as a Christmas present or giving it then you're going to want to go and check out the free shipping and then the $60 worth of additional bonuses which includes for me personally the Fresh Flour Baking Guide e-course and recipe book. Okay, number four on my list 
is a cold brew coffee toddy maker. And you might be thinking, if you're listening to this when it comes out or in the wintertime, why on earth would I want to make cold coffee? Well, I am so glad that you asked because this really ties in to going back and talking about healing my stomach and getting over that stomach acid and those things. And cold brew coffee was one of the ways that I was able to do that and to keep coffee within the items that I could consume. So cold brew coffee is very different than traditional coffee that's brewed with hot water. Well, the obvious is that it's cold, so you can make it into really easy ice drinks. But the really big reason is cold brew coffee because you're using cold water to brew it. It has 67% less acid than hot brewed coffee. It has a little bit less caffeine, but it still has the majority of caffeine in it. There's a little bit less. But for people like me who have stomach acid issues, this was an amazing breakthrough and it was the only way that I can have coffee on a very consistent basis. But one of the things that I love about it, and this is where the time saving comes in, y'all, there's no electricity required, which is beautiful. So you have a maker that has a little filter that goes in the bottom and at the bottom of the container, there's a little plug that you put in. You put your filter in the inside, you put the plug in from the outside, you put your cold water in there, your coffee grounds. And mine holds nine cups of cold water with a coffee ground. So I'm going to get out nine cups of this coffee. And it's what they use most of the time in iced coffee drinks. So if you go through an iced coffee stand, a lot of the times that's the shots of espresso that they use when they're making the iced drinks. So I, it's kind of a coffee concentrate as well. So I add water to mine when I'm going and actually making my drinks. So it lasts more than nine cups of coffee, in case you were wondering. But you get nine cups of the concentrate. So you pour it with cold water over the coffee grounds and you let it sit overnight, eight to 12 hours. You can do 18 plus if you want. And then you strain it out, and I strain mine out into a glass carafe, and it has a little airtight lid that goes on it, and it comes as a complete unit, and it's really inexpensive. It's like less than buying a, a regular hot coffee maker. And then you store it in the fridge for up to two weeks. So making coffee once lasts for two weeks. Can I get an amen? But the other thing, other than having the less acid, which I love, is you may have it hot because I get really cold in the winter months and I need a hot cup of coffee. So, of course, you can drink it cold, but it stays in the fridge so that it's good for up to two weeks. So all you do is you take it out and you heat it up and then you've got your hot cup of coffee. But because the grounds have already been removed by heating it up, it's fine. You're not introducing acid back in, right? That acid content is what it is. But by using the cold water and letting it sit like that and basically it's infusing into the water, you don't have all of the acid that you do when you make it with hot water. Pretty cool, huh? So you can get a whole kit together. I've got the link to the exact one that I have. And I have had mine for, oh my goodness, I think eight plus years. And you do replace the filters um, every now and then, but they're, they're really cheap. You can get like a two or a four pack. So you will replace the filters, not every time, not like making regular hot coffee, but pretty amazing. And one of my favorite things that I would definitely replace in a heartbeat. So up next, these are some of my beloveds, are cast iron cookware. Probably not a big surprise, but we threw Teflon and all those nonstick coated pans out a long, long time ago. And I love cast iron, not just for health reasons, though there is that. There's usually always a health reason um, and an aspect to a lot of the things that we do in our kitchen. But I like it because it is so efficient. And here's why. I don't know about you, but I do not want to be spending my time doing a whole bunch of dishes in the kitchen. 
So what I love about cast iron is, and that's one of the, actually a benefit that's similar between the cast iron and the Instapot is I can saute or brown my meat or my vegetables, whatever it may be, on the stovetop with my cast iron pan, right? You can have the saute function is on the Instapot model as well that I have. So you saute and brown your meat. Then you add in the rest of ingredients, whatever they may be, and then same pan, boom, goes straight into the oven. So I'm not messing up another pan. In the case of the Instapot, you just put the rest of your ingredients in, pop the lid on, and away she goes. But I also really love cast iron because it's so efficient is once it's hot, it retains its heat. And I love that because I really feel that it gives a superior cooking to making. I bake everything in cast iron, you guys. I'm not kidding. Like within my cast iron skillet, I do my casseroles. I bake my biscuits in my cast iron skillet. I bake pies in a cast iron skillet. I use it as a pie plate. I just love the things that it does to the texture of the crust and in the bread. So things like rolls, I bake all of my cinnamon rolls, dinner rolls, all of it gets baked in a cast iron pan. So usually I have two skillets if I'm doing a big batch. But I love the way that it rises and I feel like it gives it a lighter and more airy texture inside. It's just fabulous. So if you have not been baking your stuff like that in a cast iron skillet, you gotta do it. Plus, when it's in the cast iron skillet, everything is touching, especially when it comes to biscuits and rolls. So you get that higher because we all want like those mile high biscuits, right? And rolls because they have a better texture. You get that with the cast iron skillet, which I adore. But I love my cast iron loaf pan. I've only had it for a couple years and it is my favorite bread pan bar none. I'm actually considering getting a second one. I only got one, but a lot of my sandwich bread recipes, I make two loaves at once. And I've done comparison where I baked one loaf, because I've got two loaves going in one, right, in my regular stainless steel bread pan, and then one in the cast iron bread pan. I always love the way that it turns out in the cast iron bread pan beyond the other one. So I've done, you know, same dough, cooking at the same time, everything's the same. And I always like the loaf that comes out of the cast iron pan better. I do quick breads in it too. I've even lined it and used it to use as a soap mold. Now, if you're using it for a soap mold, you got to line it so that it stays food safe, but I just adore them. Which leads right into number six, because if you have used a cast iron skillet, you know the beauty of it is the whole pan heats up, which is one of the things I like. The heat goes all the way up the sides of the pan, so it, it's baking and cooking things evenly, especially if it's coming in contact with on the lip or the edge of the pan. But one of the drawbacks is the handle gets super duper hot. So if you're frying or cooking on the stovetop, by the time you hit that last pancake or waffle, if you need to move the pan and you don't grab a hot pad and you go to grab it, woo-wee, things get a little bit interesting. So I love a cast iron skillet handle cover. I was fortunate enough that I had a really sweet reader who sent me wool handle covers for cast iron skillets that she had. I'm not sure if they're knitted or crocheted. I actually need to look at it, but she had knitted and crocheted them. And they are fabulous. I use them all the time. I do take them off when I slide it into the oven, but I just leave them on the pans the entire time whenever they're on both my regular electric cook stove top and our wood stove because I cook on our wood stove too. In fact, three days after Thanksgiving, our power went out for 12 hours. And so I took all of our leftover Thanksgiving food, put it in my cast iron skillet, put a lid on it and just reheated it on top of the wood stove and was able to cook our meals that way. And I was really happy that I had my wool handle covers on that cast iron pan. But again, cast iron, it's so versatile. You can even use it on the wood stove, you guys. 
So you may not be lucky enough to have wool or to be able to crochet or knit yet, though I know there's many of you who are knitters and crocheters, and I love that. I can crochet, but I cannot knit to save my life. It's one of my projects of things to conquer. So you can do that route, which I love, or you can also grab the silicone cast iron skillet handle covers. And so I've got a link to some in the show notes for you there, so you can check those out. And they are great as a stocking stuffer or even to give in with a basket of homemade goodies. And they're pretty inexpensive. And you can even grab some packs of them because, like I said, I like to just have one on every pan I have. I don't even take them off and transfer them to pan to pan. I just keep them on all of them. So for today's verse of the week, I'm actually going to be sharing with you out of my new book, Handmade, and in our homespun holiday chapter. I love... Christmas time. I love all the lights and the ornaments and it's just so festive and glittery and shiny. I think I'm part like crow or magpie because I'm not kidding you guys. If it glitters, I just adore it. And so we always have our tree up nice and early and believe it or not, this homestead girl, I have an artificial Christmas tree. And the reason for that is because we heat with our wood stove and I like to put my tree up nice and early. But when you have it in the same room as your wood stove, it becomes a big fire hazard in a hurry. So we have an artificial tree so that I can put it up the weekend after Thanksgiving and have it up all the way through New Year's. And one afternoon, I glanced over at our Christmas tree, and I usually don't plug it in and have the lights on until later in the afternoon when it starts to get kind of dim and dark out because I do still want to be conscious of conserving energy. All the ornaments are in place. We have a star that's crowning the top, and I've got a red, big red piece of fabric that I use as my tree skirt around the bottom. It was really pretty. All the components are there, but it doesn't have the same impact as when the lights are on. So when you plug in the lights, the ornaments gleam. I've got little icy snowflakes that are glittering. The lights just twinkle, and it's like the Christmas spirit itself enters the room. And that's when I realized that that's what our life and our world is like without Jesus. And what I mean by that is having a real personal relationship with him. We can have all the right things in place. We can be good people. We can go to church. We probably even know the Bible, you know, say the things that society might expect us to say. Though if you're a homesteader, we're usually not (laughs) saying the expected things. But without the true light of Jesus, we are just a dull imitation. Or on the flip side, we can be a complete mess with the latest mistake or mishap or thing we did wrong, kind of sitting front and center on our chest like a Christmas tree that has gaping holes, chipped ornaments, an angel with a broken wing, which, yes, I have all three of those things on my Christmas tree. But when those lights come on, we don't see any of that anymore. Instead, the light of Jesus is multiplied in the ornaments, and despite the chips, we don't see the bare spots anymore. The glow of his love not only covers up our sins, but it washes them away. And he takes those broken spots in our lives and makes them into one big, beautiful light that reaches out to light the lives of others. So for our verse of the week, this is John 8:12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so I wanted to share that. That's that's part of the chapter. But I really wanted to share that verse and that thought with you, because not only in our spiritual life, but also within the things that we do, I notice that there's that light 
that's shining out and we impact other people. It might just be when you're standing in line at a local grocery store buying your milk and cream. It may be somebody, it may be you, maybe somebody in your family who's struggling with their food and with their health and you can step in and share the things that you've done and, and the things that has worked for you that can help someone else. And that's what this whole homesteading community and the Pioneering Today family and podcast is all about, is shining that light and helping other people. So I want to thank you so much for being a listener, for being a reader, and for being part of this movement with me. So thank you, and I can't wait to meet back here with you on our next episode.